everyone. Welcome to the first Movements Podcast of 2016. This is the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. I'm Steve Addison. This episode takes us to the New Things Leadership Gathering in Chicago, where I talk to Dave Ferguson about pioneering movements. Steve, thanks for being here. Um, over the years, too, I mean, this has been also a passion of mine. There's numbers of times where either I'd kind of look on, on, on Steve's website to find out what he's been thinking lately or even try to get a hold of you in some way and, you know, kind of draw whatever wisdom I could out of you. But let's back up a little bit because sure. I would love, love, love for just to hear kind of some of your story. And because you have, I mean, it's, you kind of started, pursued this back in the 80s. So what's, give us just a little bit of your story. Like, why are you, have you been so okay. fascinated with movements? Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, one thing looking back is uh, if, you, if you want to become an expert on something, right, find something that nobody else is talking about, <laughs> master it as quickly as possible, and then you're at, you've got those 10,000 hours and, yes. and you can blitz the field. Um, and that was one of those strange things, you know, it, the, the, the theme sort of grabbed, found me rather than I was somehow looking for it. I was a church planter. Uh, we'd been sent out from quite a large church in, in Melbourne, Australia, and we'd, we'd planted, and God had blessed it. And, um, you know, um, he, it probably started when, when he decided to... And, and this was one of the most successful church plants ever in my denomination's history. Okay? So you can imagine the sort of person I was, how godly I was with the you know, success at my fingertips... And in the second year of the church plant, the Lord just decided to shake me and shake the church a bit. And I, I heard this echo. I think it came from uh, John Wimber. Uh, Jesus wants his church back again. Hmm. And he also wanted me back again. Now, he blessed, and I'm sure we were all delighted in what he'd done, and, and, and the church hung together, and we, we went on from that point. But for a few months, he had my attention big time. And... Um, and, and I, I went that journey, and I think I discovered the whole movements thing as a byproduct of that deeper work that God wanted to do in me and in the life of the church. So, and that's a theme we see recurring with yeah. movement pioneers, is every now and again, God's just got to shake us, and not so much to give us the strategy, but to give us the heart, to bring us back. Otherwise, Ministry and success, what I thought was success, yeah. it, can, it can ruin us. Absolutely. So now in this, in this particular book too, I'm going to just flash the cover here, Pioneer Movements. Yeah. It's a little bit different than the previous two books. Um, so why, why Pioneer Movements? Why was that an important addition to what you've already, already written? Well, especially the first book was on, you know, I, I spent the next 20 years just reading and looking in, in real time at, um, I mean, today, contemporary examples of movements. Uh, I actually visited Oscar about six or seven years ago, and uh, he, he and, and what he's doing there at Nairobi Chapel appears in the first book. And we, we got the, the, the principles, um, and, and they're, they're accurate, okay? Um, but then I, I, I finished all of that, and I'd just done a trip to, to see firsthand a movement in, in southern China with one of our, our workers there. And uh, I came out of China, and I'm sitting down with a couple of guys called Smith uh, in Singapore. And, 
And they're saying, yeah, that's what we see. Those same five things. We, we see them all the time. And the five um, things you speak about, that's in your first book, right? Yeah. Movements that change the world. Yes. And well, they are, real quick, they are... White-hot faith, commitment to a cause, contagious relationships, rapid mobilization, and adaptive methods. Right. Which, I'm telling you, all of you, all church plan, I mean, that's, it's worth everybody's read. It's a great, great read. Go ahead. And those things are rock solid. Yeah. You know, it's just... I think we'd have to say, we all want to see those things. Um, so we saw those. And then I said to him, but you know, I've just come out of China and I, I think I've missed one. And uh, I said, well, what would that be? And I said, apostolic leaders, you know, leaders who are seeing cities and regions and nations. And they're not just planting and pastoring churches, they're multiplying churches. And they looked at me like, you know, who is this guy? And we, they just said, well, we've never seen a movement without apostolic leadership. And at that point, I thought, oh, it's too late to change the book. <laughs> and I just <laughs> put that thought aside. The book came out. And now finally, it's probably about t- 10 years later, finally it's time to write, write that story of apostolic leadership. So speaking of a bunch of church planners or people that are passionate church planning, give us kind of just to kind of break it down a little bit. When you talk about pioneering mo- or, or movement pioneers, give us some yeah. synonyms for that. Like, so, so we can get a handle. Okay, so what does that look like, especially if that's now one of those six critical components to, to what makes a movement? Yeah. Uh, they're people who have that in, in a biblical sense, the function, the apostolic function. So they don't write scripture and they haven't necessarily personally witnessed the resurrection. Okay. But they're doing everything else a Paul or a Peter or a Barnabas or a Silas or a Timothy would do. Their catalysts are especially going into unreached uh, parts of the world, and, and that includes you know, neighbourhoods and, and segments of society here in Chicago or in Illinois. Um, and their catalysts for multiplying movements of disciples and churches. So... Yes, they're modeling what it means to be a shepherd or a leader and a van, all of those things. The rest of the apest. Yeah, they're, they're modeling those things, but most of all, they're looking and releasing those gifts of leadership in the body of Christ. And they're actually thinking about where they go, where they move on to next. Okay, now as you describe that though, because you, you mentioned Peter and you mentioned Paul, and you, yeah. a little bit ago you mentioned John Wimber. So, I mean, does anybody in this room have that gift? Because that sound, that's, that's, like, that's pretty big time. Well, uh, well I, one of the case studies I did was Victor Landro down in Colombia. Nobody's, well, very few people have heard of him. And I think he might have come to faith in the 60s. He's a, he's a brothel owner and a, a bar and a brothel. That was his business and a drunkard. Long story, but he comes to Christ. A bar I mean, and a brothel they're, they're, and a drunkard? Yeah. He, had, he eventually married one of his three wives, I think, or some of the three women that the other two didn't want to accept Christ, so that made it clear, well, I'll marry this one. <laughs> um, he, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do, so he just reads his Bible and he starts sharing the gospel. Friends and family start coming. But pretty soon we've got networks of disciples and new churches all throughout the region. Well, he's not a, a John Wesley or something. Right. Most people haven't heard it. Well, for every John Wesley... There's, there's hundreds of people like that um, who, are, who are just working away. And so, so they're, they're, they're not necessarily... You do get the John Wesleys. But they wake up in the morning and they're thinking, um, how can we find people who are far from God? How can we multiply disciples and churches? So they may start the first church, but they're typically thinking, 
okay, how can I raise up new and existing believers to go and do what I do? Okay, now as you describe that, that doesn't seem quite as, as unusual. Yeah. It seems a little more common. I remember a conversation I had with Alan Hirsch, and Alan was talking about this. He, was, he said, you know, Ephesians even was actually written more to really a house church. And so if you understand that Ephesians was actually written to a house church, maybe, I'm making this up now, 30 or 40 people? Then, let me finish yep. this so you can yeah. do the numbers. Then, when you talk about the apes, the gifts of apostle, prophet, shepherd, and teacher, it probably exists within almost every small group. How would you respond to that? Uh, pretty hard to tie down a movement pioneer to be a small group leader. Okay. Uh, so, in, in Ephesus, you know, uh, typically I'd say it was a citywide network of reproducing churches. Okay. That's, that's most likely in those cities. And if you're really wealthy, you could fit 30 to 50 people, in, but you're in the top 1%. Okay. So a lot of people are meeting in fairly small groups. Um, I don't think, I'm not looking for an apostle in it, because you can't tie down any apostle worth their salt, even to one local church. Yeah. They might be there for a period, reporting back or getting it established, but they're, they're thinking, you know, Paul's thinking when he's at Ephesus... Not just how do we reach a city of 200,000, but he's thinking now I've got Epaphras up in Colossae and Laodicea and Heropolis. He's planting churches up there. And I'm, I'm training and doing outreach here in the school of Tyrannus. Um, but throughout, the scriptures say throughout the whole of the region of Asia Minor, sort of Western Turkey, that whole region's hearing the gospel because of the workers that Paul's sending out. He's thinking on that sort of scale. Now, yes, you could say maybe Epaphras doing those is, has got an apostolic gift because he's, he's okay. a whole... Th- but no, I, I wouldn't say... I, I mean, I love Alan, but I'm not expecting there has to be an apostle in every single church okay. or home group. Okay. Um, but, and I'm going to lean towards the function more than, I, than gee, I've got a gift um, because... Well, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, a lot of people with an apostolic, don't, they don't know how to word for it, but they just do it. Like this guy, Victor, he probably never called himself. Now, you can do that if you want. Don't put it on a business card. But um, it's more of a function. And then the other thing is, you look around Paul, there's a hundred names in the New Testament associated with his ministry. And 36 of them are leaders, they're on the small apostolic team or they're local workers. So every apostle's you know, movement pioneer, they're putting to work just a whole host of people. And in that sense, that ministry is apostolic, okay. even if they don't get the title. Because they're, they're moving, they're sort of transferring in and out of his team for key projects. All right, let me, let me, let me make this. Uh, I loved what you did in Chapter yeah. 6. And I'll tell you, if, if, uh, if you decide to pick up this book, it's worth it just to pick up the book just for Chapter 6. I, in Chapter 6, basically what you do is you talk about six levels of movement leadership. Yeah. And, and you break this down, and you have simple graphics. I mean, it's, I mean, it's easy and it's, uh, to understand. And what I, would look, I looked at it, and it looks like kind of a leadership path for a young apostolic leader. Now, I would, can we just take just a moment? Yeah. And why don't you give me one minute on each of these? Okay. Uh, and here's, here's the, five, the, the, the five different levels. He talk, you talk about a seed sower, and then a church planter, and then a church multiplier, and then a multiplication trainer, and then level five, you says, is, is a movement catalyst. Yeah. All right? 
Why don't you tell, talk just a little bit, explain what each of those do. So, and I think, because there's some of us in this room that I think really have the gifting where they could move through each of those, those levels. So you start with a seed sower. What's a seed sower? Okay. It's somebody who knows how to connect with people far from God and share the gospel and lead someone to Christ and even the early steps in discipleship. The great thing about this is you will grow apostolic leaders But you can also grow hundreds and thousands of ordinary believers who are the foot soldiers in a movement. If you just make sure, does everybody who's willing to, if they love Jesus, have a pulse, they're willing to learn. How many of our people know how to connect with someone far from God and share their story or a Bible story or something of the gospel and, and, and make a new disciple. So everybody could be a seed sower. Yes. Okay, then the next one, level two, is, is Second, church, church, church planter. How do you move to that? Okay. That's the ability not only to make individual disciples, but help new disciples uh, form into a group. And ideally, those people, it's in a, a pre-existing network of relationships. So when you find somebody who's responsive to the gospel, it's like the woman at the well. You want to see the gospel go to their village rather than, oh, gee, we've got a group over here in our church for single mothers. So we'll drag her out of her world and we'll, we'll you know, you just sit there and we'll look after you. Now, some single mums need that. Some dads need that. Um, but no, how, how can the gospel go to a village and that person then is a catalyst to see a group of new disciples come together and, and discover what church is, discipleship and church. Now, in a movement, I'll get in trouble for saying this, you don't, play, you don't pay church, anyone to plant a church. In a movement, that's what lay people do in their spare time. Okay, so you've got a seed sower, yep. church, planter, church planter, and then the third level then becomes church multiplier. Church multiplier. Now, here's the road to the 10,000. Yeah. The road to the 10,000... What's the 10,000? Your 10,000. Okay. <laughs> Just clarify. The road to the 10,000 is becoming a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent. So it's actually a multiplier can not only pioneer a new disi- group of disciples that becomes church, they can help people from within that church form a new church with new disciples. And once you, you see four generations consistently um, in a network like that, you're in the middle of a church planting movement. So your target to get to 10,000 is just four. Okay. So typically, when we lead someone to Christ, when we, plant, when we form a new group of disciples, when we form a new church, are we getting to fourth generation? So um, that person is a church multiplier, and you're allowed to pay them. <laughs> um, uh, What's the next one? Okay, so we got good. So we got seed sower, yeah. church planter, church multiplier, and to me, it seemed like at this point there's a significant kind of transition because now the next in level four, you're talking about a, multi, a, a multiplication trainer. Yeah. So if you can imagine a church multiplier having typically a stream of four, now some of those streams are, are ending because the group didn't reproduce, but what the multiplication, multiplication trainer trainer does is they can help. A number of streams of fourth generation churches start. So it might be my mate Troy here, uh, he's done the fourth generation. He's seen that down in Florida. But now he's coaching and equipping 
other church planters to get to fourth generation. And now they're seeing, and this is the other number you can think of, can we get to uh, six streams of fourth generation? Mm. Then you're in something that's almost unstoppable. And so a multiplication trainer is, is seeing, they can say, we've got multiple streams now, and I'm not doing that. I'm coaching and training and mentoring the key leader who is. Okay, then the last level, you take it to a whole other level, and you talk about a multiplication catalyst. Okay. So seed sower, church planner, church multiplier, multiplication trainer, now multiplication catalyst. What's that? Okay. Um, it's the next step on. And it might be somebody who says, I want to see no place left here in Chicago. Is this Chicago, by the way? Yes. Yeah, we call it Chicago. Okay. So we're going to have to see multiple streams and mobilize all sorts of people to get to that Romans 15. There's no, Paul said, no more play. There's no place left for my job is done. And he was at that, that level five. And it's not just a matter of, well, we've reached most people. It's actually, wow, we've got some Kurds here, I'm guessing, in Chicago. Have we got a a multiplication stream amongst them? Who can I mobilize and get on board to see that happen? So they're saying, for me, it's Chicago or I die. Or they're saying Western China, it's the Uyghurs. Or they're saying throughout the US, we want to reach Persians, Iranians. And in order to do that, multiple streams across a geographic area or one single people group. That's what we're looking at. I'll I'll tell you what, too. I mean, again, I would encourage you, um, and I'm not trying to sell Steve's books, but that chapter six is, is, I mean, is worth the price of the book there. I think that's just terrific stuff. Um, Can I say one? I'll say one thing quickly. It's not based on Steve's great theory. It's it's based on solid... uh, Actual movements that we're seeing that are multiplying in North India through a guy called Nathan Shank. Um, and we're beginning to see throughout the U.S. with no place left and a guy called uh, Jeff Sundell. Very good. All right. Um, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll see if we got a couple questions here. Uh, Eric, did you get anything on, the, on, uh, on Twitter? No, actually, I haven't had anything come through Twitter yet. So okay. I guess I'd, what I'd like to do is ask someone to raise their hand if you have a question for Steve uh, that we can ask him in regards to the subject, and you can just kind of go like this, and I'll come to you with the microphone, and we'll see where we're at in the conversation. All right, I got a gentleman over here, going to come around. Coming to you. Here we go. Uh, yeah, so in regards to your, uh, the conversation earlier about apostles, um, that you might not, you wouldn't consider them being tied down to a small group, um, am I wrong then to consider that uh, maybe an apostle who's just developing that gift might actually find the, the small group as a good training ground yep. to be able to really hone their skills before they, uh, before they go and do a, a major thing like that? Yep, and what I'd strongly encourage is don't focus on the gift of a title, Focus on the function. So what do movement pioneers, movement catalysts do? Because just because you fill out a questionnaire and now I've got this gift or this title, that's, that's not really how it works. I mean, Paul says, you really want to claim this title? Do you know what we go through? Do you know what it's like to have, you know? So he's, he's looking at, at, at character 
He's looking at function more than he's sort of looking at, I've got something on the business card. And that's where those five levels just start. If somebody thinks they're in a... Well, just start connecting with people far from God. Start making disciples. Start forming new disciples into new churches. Start helping others multiply that. Well, okay, we'll begin to, to say maybe, maybe there's a gift rising to the surface here. Okay. Anybody else? Questions? Uh, we have a question over here. Okay, sure. Go ahead, Steve. So, Dave, you were talking that in this country there are no churches, I think, that are leading movements, right? Wasn't that one of the things you said as you went through? I think Steve's telling me I'm wrong. Right. So I'm really interested (laughs) in just knowing, okay, so this is happening in other places in the world. And if it isn't happening in the United States, why isn't it? And what does it take? Why is the United States different than other places? And if it is happening, what is that looking like? It's beginning to happen, um, and so in, in the book you'll see some case studies, and we talk about uh, Jeff, but also other, other leaders. Um, there's another case study that, that Troy's involved in. I just hadn't met Troy early enough to get it into the book, but down in southwest Florida. Uh, you don't want to sort of name it and claim it too early. Because you want to say, okay, we're beginning to see good signs, all right? We're beginning to see those multiple generations. We're beginning to see leaders come up from the harvest. Uh, so I, I think there's a, there's a good chance you will see it happen in the U.S. Um, why is it less likely to happen in, 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 in the Western world? We're fairly secularised and so is the church. We've lost our confidence in the gospel. Um, and, uh, and also there's a sociological, I mean, relationships have broken down in our culture, so it's a lot harder to see multiplication take place. That's still a bedrock principle and key. Um, so it's, it's a lot tougher in Europe. You know, I'm based in Britain now. But the principles still apply. And every now and again, God throws in a game changer. Uh, and uh, so the principle, the... Because these are, these are not just, so, these are solid biblical principles. I'll give you another reason, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm not starting with the movement thing. I'm starting with the principles. And when I wrote the first book, we got the principles right. Okay, we could add apostolic leadership. That's what I discovered as we went out and trained and mobilized, people got the vision, nothing's happening, virtually nothing. And I realised the missing link, and this is why I wrote the second book, what Jesus started, is nobody knows what to do on Monday morning. Hmm. And I would add into that what I call the missional fog. That we, somehow that word, I think, it's like the word love. It's become so much and, and it almost has lost its meaning. And it's become so broad and so vague um, what Michelle and I learned is sooner or later you have to do what Jesus did and go out and connect with people far from God and share with them and call them to follow Jesus and then help them to become a disciple who helps other people follow Jesus. And most of our people, and we're responsible for this, don't know what to do on Monday morning. They just know they've been exhorted, they've been told, they've been envisaged. And they just don't know what to do. And we, we can train them. We, and as soon as we start training and modelling 
and equipping people, people start coming to faith, even in the West, immediately. Let me throw a couple more questions at you. And by the way, too, if, if you want to go ahead and throw it out there on Twitter with using the hashtag uh, NTG15, uh, uh, Steve, I think you agree that you said you'd love to follow up on these yeah. questions via Twitter, too. So if you're thinking about this later on, go like, oh, dang, I should have asked him. You can, you can hit him up that way. Okay, so you end the book in the, in the last chapter, mm. chapter 10. You, you really finish with, it's a, it's a powerful and provoking question. What would it take to stop you? Yeah. What would it take to stop you? Um, what were you getting at, and why did you choose to end the book like that? I think it was a balance from our emphasis on movements and multiplication, seeing that a pattern in the lives of movement pioneers in Scripture and throughout history and today is at some point they're going to find something that just stops them in their tracks, that um, I can't go any further. They're going to find, and, and sometimes it's a personal tragedy, sometimes it's just... Uh, I cannot see the breakthroughs. I cannot make this thing happen. And, and to see, you know, that if, you, if it's going to be a movement of God, it's going to have the shadow of the cross over it, both the cross and the resurrection. And for Paul, this is weakness. This is power in weakness. That somehow we have to be what we're trying to multiply and especially, every Christian's got to face this, but especially movement pioneers. There will be key times where you, you face a personal tragedy or your deep conflict in the ministry or a health, whatever it is that could easily unmake you as a leader and even as a person. And we think the enemy is that thing we're facing when the reality is this God is opening you up to a deep work, a very costly work. Because this is the journey of his son. And this is the example of Paul and virtually every other movement pioneer I've looked at. And so you've got to be prepared for the battle. And you've got to be prepared for this, this weakness in power thing. Because if God is going to entrust us with seeing whole cities and nations and people groups one, we've got to know his power and we have to also know that it's power and weakness. This message of the cross becomes part of us. And it's both a task and a challenge, and it's a gift because it sets you free. Yeah. And I, get, I, get, I mean, I get the sense as you're talking, that I mean, specifically, that's kind of a word for some of us in this room. Right yep, there. it will be. Let me, let me ask you this. I would love for you to do this. T take uh, two minutes or so and, and kind of wrap up. You have become a friend of New Thing and of mine, and you know a little bit about New Thing and kind of some of the things that we're about or what we'd love to see God do through us. Um, just speak as candidly as you would and, and, challenge, and kind of challenge us, going like, you know, here's some things you guys and, you guys and girls are doing great at, but here's some things you need to really be aware of. Just kind of challenge us. I think you've got the, the vision thing, and you keep revisiting the, you know, 30,000-foot view. Mm-hmm. I would say you've got to learn the micro thing. Uh, the micro thing? The micro thing. What people do on Monday morning? What people do on Monday morning. So this morning, I get up this morning and Troy says, Steve, let's do the micro thing. And we're walking uh, and we're just doing what we call the three-thirds. It's a discovery Bible study process and we're in second, First Thessalonians 2. And we're... What, it, what is it saying to us? 
you know, where, how do, how's Jesus revealed in this? What do we need to do? We're just applying it to our lives and we're both concluding, you know, uh, and we, everybody in a movement is doing this. They know what the three-thirds are. They can do discovery Bible study, obedience-orientated discipleship. It's bread and butter. And then Troy and I are saying, you know, like Paul, we need to be upfront with the gospel. We walk into the Apple store because, you know, the real reason I came was to buy the iPhone 6. Yes. <laughs> and I'm, we're working out and we'll call the, the attendant uh, Susie. And um, while we're sorting it out, Troy's connected and he said, well, has anyone ever explained the gospel to you? And as we're doing credit cards and all of that, he's just doing a little thing we call the three circles, a great way to share the gospel. And she's just riveted. Hmm. And we're praying for her, and she's a single mom praying for her son who's got a health issue, and uh, talking about how she could grow in a relationship with Jesus as she begins reading the gospel stories with her son, five years old. Um, you know, we stepped out of it because it's all done and we, we left and then I came back because I wanted to download some stuff in the store. She stops what she's doing to come over and just keep talking to us, okay? Now, can anyone, not just in this room, but the people you influence, how many have you trained to share their story, to do a discovery Bible study with somebody who's far from God? To, we call it the early offer of prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, we offered in the Apple store to pray for Susie and her son. And then do they know how to transition out of that and just say, hey, at the moment in your life, are you near or far from God? It's a wonderful question. Would you like to be nearer? Yeah, I would. She said, we, we talked about brokenness. Yeah, I'm broken, you know. I said, well, can I tell you how I was far and came near? Have you trained your people in that? I mean... In this room, you could have thousands of people that you would train, and even if only a quarter of them begin to go and I, I assure you, people will come to Christ next week because you've trained them, and they know how to make a disciple doing discovery Bible study. They're some of the micro things, but how you make the first disciple will determine whether it's a movement or not. So what I'm hearing you say, you look at you look at new thing, you're going, hey, great job on the thirty thousand foot, great job on the vision. Good job on mobilizing people with apostolic function and gifts. But what about the thousands and thousands of people who wake up on Monday morning? How are you mobilizing? How are you training? How are you, what are they doing? And, and that's, that's the, the thing we need to go to work on. This is what changes you. Because I wrote the first book without doing this stuff until my wife beat me up <laughs> big time. I, I got a word from the Lord through my wife. It's an awful experience, guys. <laughs> Steve, it's a great book. When are you going to do something? And I I couldn't be offended because it was God. So you step out in fear and trepidation and weakness, okay? You have the skills because you've trained and practiced your people. They step out or you step out. This is what changes you forever. It's actually not Chicago Mm -hmm. or North America or Kenya. It's I stepped out and Jesus turned up. And touched a life. That's what will... Actually, your people will not be motivated by 10,000. They'll be motivated because they actually love people. You know, we see that. (laughs) They will be motivated about about Susie at the Apple store and her son. That's that's what we signed up for, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So so you've got to train. 
You've got to take a risk. You've got to, you know, Troy's hold me accountable. And we're going to do this stuff. But what changes us all is Jesus rose from the dead and still leads the way. He's there in the, he's already there. In the Apple Store. Yeah. I'll tell you what, let's uh, thank, say thanks okay. to Steve. Great stuff. Thank you. Like to pick up a copy of Pioneering Movements, Leadership That Multiplies Disciples and Churches. Follow the links on the blog at movements.net. And if you enjoy the book, why not hop on uh, Amazon and leave a review and a rating that'll encourage others to read it as well. Until next time, this is Steve Addison for the Movement Podcast.